0: Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Subser, and today we're going to be talking with John Stoss, who is
1: President and
0: Co-Founder of
1: Greenhouse. John, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. How,
0: how are things in New York this morning?
1: Good. It's hot here, but um, we've got all sorts of fun things going on, so it's exciting times.
0: Great. Would you take a moment and introduce yourself uh, to the, to the audience?
1: Sure. So my current role is I was a co-founder and, and kind of head of product at Greenhouse. Um, I have a long history of like the last 20 years in product development. So I've worked on other kind of HR-related enterprise software like Merced Systems. But for a long time, I was actually at a consumer company called Baby Center, where I made a website for new and expected parents and then rolled it out to 20 countries around the world. I guess that's so my, that's so, my so are you a long-term yeah. New
0: York resident? Are you, are you yeah. a New Yorker right?
1: No, 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 I grew up in Michigan, actually, um, and then eventually moved to San Francisco, where I spent about 10 years doing the um, kind of during the whole dot-com boom and bust, and then eventually uh, moved to New York about 10 years ago to date myself. <laughs> so I'm still becoming a New Yorker, I think.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's a long battle, but if you can survive there for 10 years, you're halfway home. Um, so, so tell me about Greenhouse. Um, some of the people who listen will know yeah. about Greenhouse, but really not everybody in the world knows about Greenhouse. So, so what's the story there? If,
1: if only, yeah. I, um, I mean, the premise behind the company was that, um, I mean, ostensibly it's a software company that sells a talent acquisition suite, like an ATS and onboarding and CRM um, and various other things. But the real premise behind the company was, when we started, we looked and said, there's this big transition happening in how companies are relating to their people. And realizing that like, uh, well, business used to be about physical capital, it's now really more about human capital. And the way you differentiate is on people, and hence there's this transformation and people practices. And so talent acquisition, which used to be seen as maybe a more administrative field where it was like, yeah, get everybody hired and, get every- and make sure everything's compliant. is now a strategic field. It's where companies go to win. And so we said, well, when a company makes that decision and says, I want to win, what are the tools they would need to do that, right? It's hard, right? It's hard to get really good at recruiting. Um, Both my co-founder and I have had that experience in our previous companies, not being recruiters, but saying, we have to build a machine to win. That's, like, the difference between us winning and losing as a business. And so that's really where we started was, like, let's create software that helps companies win, um, which we think kind of took us in a very different direction than traditional categories where they were.
0: That's that's really interesting. So so I, I've I've often wondered if greenhouse doesn't have sort of an embedded recommendation about how to recruit, which which isn't part of most recruiting software. Is that is, is that yeah,
1: a I mean, fair perception? Sort of. So I, I think sometimes people will hear that. I mean, I think that's true. But and people hear that and think, oh, well, you have some like greenhouse way that, like, you have to ask these questions or you have to do these techniques. And that's not the point. Our point is the opinion that we have that's very much embedded in the, in the product is you should have a plan and you should execute that plan and then you should get better at it over time, which when you say it that way, sounds pretty uncontroversial, right? Like, does anybody argue that you shouldn't have a plan? And yet, like, to your point, that's not really embedded in most systems. Right, most systems like you open a job, you start getting candidates, and you start doing stuff. You you know review the candidates, or you uh, move them through stages, or you make an offer. In ours, it more starts with like, what's your plan? What is it you're looking for? How will you know when you found that person? What are the specific things you're going to do to interview or test that person to understand? And and how are you going to make sure it's consistent for every candidate that goes through the process? How are you going to systematically collect data to understand what's working and what's not working so you can make do it better next time? Um, so that's where, you know, when people say it's an opinionated product, in that sense, like, yeah, it is. Like, we think you should have a plan and you should get better over time. It's not so much that it's like you have to do it our way.
0: That's, that's, actually, that's actually quite elegant. I've been trying to puzzle that out for a while. I've, I've known you guys for, for a bit. And, and it seemed like there was a hand sort of on the, on the process. But, but you you really just clarified that. So so the idea behind Greenhouse is recruiting shouldn't be a reactive sport. Recruiting should be a proactive sport.
1: That, that's right. And the, and the other key insight in there is that our belief is that you, we talk to most recruiters and we think they actually know what good recruiting looks like. Anybody who's done that for a while, like, generally it's like, they don't have an idea of what it looks like. The problem is, is that to be great at recruiting in an org – you really need everybody to play along. It's not just the recruiting recruiter's job, it's everybody. All your hiring managers have got to engage and like, everybody's got to fill out scorecards and approve offers quickly and they've got to engage with what is it we're looking for. And like It should be a very collaborative process and at most companies, big and small, advanced and not, it's not, right? There's, there's tremendous uh, barriers to most recruiters of, of people saying, ah, I don't have time for that or I'm just doing it my way, leave me alone. And so there's a real uphill battle internally for recruiters and how they get other people to play their part. And so what happens is, like, people don't play their part, and then things fall through their cracks, and you get this terrible candidate experience, and you get all the nightmare stories that we've all heard and experienced. And so the other magical thing we try to do is allow this kind of centralized recruiting team to orchestrate everyone else's behavior and say, like, listen, it's really hard for a recruiter to walk into the CTO's office and say, you're recruiting all wrong. Do it differently. Like, that doesn't ever work. <laughs> but, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but, when you, but when you get a calendar invite that says, go interview this person, and it used to just say, go interview them, tell us what you think. And now it says, here's the job they're interviewing for. Here's what we know about them already. Here's your specific task, of what we want you to do. Here are questions to ask. And here's what we want you to tell us afterwards. It's easier as an interviewer to get that than not. It's actually easier because all these people like who are participating in the recruiting process kind of unwillingly, we think it's easier for them to participate by using our product than not. It's really stressful to go into an interview and have no idea what you're gonna ask, right? For most people. And so what we're trying to do is help recruiters win that internal battle to help everybody else do their part so that like the twenty-five different touch points you have with the candidate are all great. They're all on brand, they're all winning
0: that's 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 really interesting so so the idea is that that um, with plan you can prepare people, and when you prepare people, the stuff that used to be hard gets easy because it seems to me that, that, exactly that right. underlying right. that that um, uh, resistance that the recruiters find is people are scared. You want them to shift out of what they know how to do into what they don't know how to do, and nobody likes to do that. So so making it That's easier right. is genius.
1: Yeah, and, and if you think of it as, as you get to bigger and bigger companies, let's say you have a 25,000 person company across 20 countries, to try to have a consistent like, organized like brand, or like, or like here's our statement for what we are as a company, what we're looking for, what we want, like, like Ultimately, this is where your culture as a company gets created, is who you bring in, even the stories you tell internally of what is it you want your interviewers to go look for. And for a company to actually execute that is really hard. And that's what we think ultimately we're giving people is somebody centrally can say, here's what our company is about. Here's what it is we're looking for. We bring people in. Here's how we look for that. Here's the questions we tell internally. And now we can make sure that Everybody across the world, the thousands of people involved in the recruiting process are all kind of playing from the same playbook. And it's all easy for them. I don't have to argue with them. It um, can be a really powerful transformation that when we talk to folks and say, well, how would you make that transformation without a product like ours? Right? How, would you, how do you get everybody on the same page and doing all that stuff when you're just working in Google Docs and spreadsheets? And your ATS is just like the thing in the corner that you use to like kind of count how many applicants we had. Um, it's it's really hard. And so I think that's where we're having a lot of success from companies who are saying, who are first having the light bulb moment of saying, hey, we're losing at recruiting and it means we're losing as a business. And we need to get better. And we need to win. And that means we have to win candidate experience. We have to make better decisions from a diversity and inclusion perspective. We have to have a more fair process. Then they come to us <laughs> and they realize that we can help them get there.
0: That's that's interesting. This This makes you
1: distinctly different from anybody
0: else in the market. That this is, this is a, a, a pretty good value proposition. So let's, let's, let's move into one of the things that you mentioned. You, you guys pay particularly close attention to diversity and inclusion. What's that all about?
1: Sure. So, so, I mean, the first thing for us was, you know, we started a company. We said, like, well, one of the things was uh, help people make better decisions, and when you dig into like any of the research, everybody's going to tell you some version of do structured interviewing. Have a clear idea of what it is you're looking for. Uh, have a real clear idea then of what you're going to do to find that, and then put every can- and then actually capture structured data afterwards of you know did they demonstrate the skill or not, and put every candidate through that same process. And that's a way to generate a way better uh, decision than doing the random thing where you just ask random people random questions. And it turns out, as we kind of dug in with a bunch of uh, some like diversity inclusion consultants, uh, is they're saying that's the exact same thing you do if you want to have more inclusive hiring practices and improve the diversity of your team. And it turned out like our original premise of that you know best people win and that you have to like people should be a differentiator also leads you to realizing that diversity inclusion is like a really good business practice too, right? In a world where you think all of your people are uh, kind of a commodity and you can't really differentiate on them, then if you're like systematically excluding whole sets of people, there's not like a short-term business impact to you, or you don't notice it. In a world where you realize, actually, people are everything, and I have to compete to win, and I'm dealing with like shallow talent pools where there aren't enough great players, then systematically uh, excluding people is terrible business practice. Not just like the morally wrong thing to do, it's like you're actually put like, putting one hand, hand behind your back. And so we feel more and more companies are waking up to that and realizing whether it's because of, like, what's the media or the, of, of the Me Too, or it's companies like the groundswell happening inside of companies of people saying, hey, I'm looking around at our company. We're not as diverse as we could be. Or people just realizing, like, this is good business. It's just saying, what can I do? And what we're seeing is that there's a lot of folks who are saying, wow, I went into unconscious bias training, and that was really interesting. Like, I learned a lot. That was great. But in a, in a few percent of the people walk out of the training and try to put it into practice on a daily basis. And like 95% of people walk out of the training, and they're not sure actually what to do about it. And so it kind of goes in one ear out the other. So the question is, how do you operationalize all of those good practices? How on a daily basis, in all of the moments that happen, from how you prepare candidates, to how you prepare an interviewer, to how you fill out a scorecard to make a decision, to refer a friend, all of those moments, how do you ensure that you're doing it right? And so we looked at it and said, actually, we have a unique opportunity to do this because so many of those key moments are happening in our product. And so we went and partnered with a bunch of experts in the field, consultants like Joel Emerson <laughs> at uh, Paradigm and then a bunch of academics at Stanford and MIT and Indiana University and said, what are the kind of evidence-based intera- or interventions that there's a lot of proof should work and how can we embed those in our product? And so that's what we're rolling out now. And it's a whole new product that's filled with things like, uh, adding more structure to the interview process, um, hiding potentially prejudicial data, uh, showing nudges at key moments to kind of nudge people out of that like the System One thinking and the System Two thinking. If you're familiar with like thinking fast and slow, right. um, and then uh, and then just collecting a bunch of uh, collecting a bunch of demographic data and being able to report on it and say like which sources are giving us the, a balanced talent pool and which aren't, which parts of our interview process have wildly different pass rates than others. So it's a whole different Instead of a whole pile of different interventions, it's pretty exciting stuff. I think it's you know it's a new thing that um, this is something that people are expecting. That there's like <clears throat> lots of this stuff out there, but we're getting a lot of enthusiasm from folks saying, "Hey, yeah, we want to do something, and we're not sure what." And this seems like a really promising way to do it.
0: So, so, so this this question of, of bias and inclusion is is one that has my attention, and and what I what I often wonder. The, the the sort of HR department view of this is often about compliance and regulation, um, mm-hmm. and and that view gets you sort of categorical approaches to bias and inclusion, um, but you yeah. but you run into the into the sort of standard problem, which is which is if we want to increase the number of women in our workforce. We can follow those statistics, and we can increase the number of women in our workforce without ever hiring anybody with a body mass index over 25. Um, yeah. but, and so, yeah. so what yeah. you find when you look at bias is that it runs deep, and it's like it's like jelly. You, you try to pit it down, and it moves away. Um, And and so how how do you think about those things, the sort of non-categorical biases that actually define
1: culture? I think it's a great question. And I think it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that all of the issues we're talking about are around race, gender, and sexual orientation. And the truth is, like, that's a start, but there's a lot more to it. (laughs) Um, And so I think the way we're approaching it is rather than having this attitude of, like, don't be sexist or hire more women. It's like, well, how do we how about if we like step away from that and make it more around do inclusive practices? Which isn't about like don't do X, which makes people very defensive. And it's more right. like do something inclusive. So let me give you an example. Is um it, it comes like I'll tell you the research first and then kind of how we how it shows up in our product. Um is, is, uh, is there's a research there around like somebody went out to hire a fire, like a mayor's going to hire a fire chief or a police chief. Do you know this story? No. Nope. The, the police, okay. Okay, so they're going to hire a police chief, and they basically there's two resumes. One has a male name that has really good education or really appropriate education, and the other is a female name with lots of experience. And they'd they'd send it to somebody and say, okay, who are you going to pick? And they say, oh, I'd hire the male. Why? Well, because they have such great education, and that's what I'm looking for. Then, of course, they do another set where they'd swap the names, and they'd say, who are you going to hire? And they'd say, I'm going to hire the male. Why? Oh, because uh, they have such great experience. That's what I'm looking for. And what you find is, like, uh, people shift the criteria based on who do they think they should be hiring right? And so it's it's, it's this very subtle thing. And you can say, like, you shouldn't do that. It's like, yeah, but it's like, it's very, like, unconscious bias is really deep-seated to your point. And so they did a third one where they figured out how to solve it, which was, ask somebody first, what is the most important criteria? Is it education or is it experience? said education. Okay. Then they show them the resume. And then they would pick the woman with great education. It turns out, like, it's very subtle changes, but but, you know, to that point of, like, getting out of system one thinking to system two thinking, like, being really explicit about what you're looking for first can have a really big difference in the decisions you make. Forcing you to, like, really explain your thinking, like, when you fill out a scorecard, not just saying, yeah, I liked her, she seemed smart, but saying, that, no, really explicitly, if, like, you said that she had good attention to detail. Why did you say that? What was the evidence you collected? Little things like that can actually add up and have a big effect. So, I think, so we're doing all sorts of things like that in our product. Um to get people to kind of jar people out of that kind of automatic thinking, where bias can take over, and force them to really think about what they're saying and why.
0: Wow, that's interesting. So this is really just an extension of the core philosophy of the product, which is if you know Absolutely. what you want, you get better results.
1: And and to be clear, like we think it has to be like if it ends up being, um, if it ends up being some other intervention, where it's like, okay, you're, you're doing all your work in one place, and you have to log into the other tool to make sure that you're not biased. Like, That's not going to happen. It has to be uh, like uh. actually where you live, right? In the moment that you go to make a referral, it pops up a thing that says, remember, we're looking for people from underrepresented backgrounds for this role, and gets you to draw and think in that moment, like, oh, right, I keep referring people who look just like me. It's a really common phenomenon. Right. And so, by layering things exactly where people already live, we don't have an adoption issue of like, how am I gonna get people to actually pay attention to this? It's like, oh no, they're not gonna have a choice. It's gonna be there.
0: That, so so to be... your point,
1: yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh,
0: well, so I wanna move you on to AI. Um, how mm-hmm. do you use AI at, at um, Greenhouse?
1: Yeah, I mean, as we started thinking about AI and machine learning, I think we figured at first, we need to start from someplace where there's a lot of data. Uh, and so for us, like, there's a lot of data on the top of the funnel, right? Across thousands of companies and hundreds of thousands of jobs, there's now tens of millions of applications that have flown through our system that, we've able, that we can use as a training set to learn and say, okay, like, now based on where some, like, the source of where somebody came from and various other factors about them, we can make all sorts of predictions of what we think is going to happen. And so we're now able to add predictive analytics into our product so that, for instance, you look at a pipeline and say, for this job, we've got all these candidates. Well, based on all these factors about them, we can make a prediction as to when when you're going to make a hire. We can tell you, like, hey, the top of your funnel may have 100 candidates, but the sources they're from, like, you probably only have about three face-to-face candidates in there. Um, And so it's just giving people a little bit more insight instead of having to purely go off their gut we can use uh, machine learning algorithms based on all the data we have about our customers from the past, and make these nice predictions to say, are we on track? Which is always like this great question that happens in every recruiting organization. Is you know finance wanders over and says, so we've got 100 openings, are we on track? It has a huge impact on our budget. Um, hiring managers want to know when there's going to be a button seat, and so uh, we sort launched a new product around that called, or a new feature called Greenhouse Predicts, uh, which is starting to go down that path.
0: I've, I've seen it. It's a, it's a pretty interesting yeah. thing. You've wrestled with, with the question of how do people make sense out of predictive information. Let's, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as we got into it, we were like, oh, this is a really great idea. We kind of validated with, with user research. People said, yes, like having some prediction as to whether we're going to make our hire on time or not is a really important problem. And yet when we started to roll it out, we realized we we're giving people all these probabilities. And most people don't know what to do with probabilities, right? The only time that we, we engage with it on a daily basis is like the weather. Somebody says, oh, there's a 70% chance it's going to rain. And most people round that up to 100. And they say, there's a 20% chance of rain. And they round that down to zero. And like, it's hard, like probabilities are hard to action sometimes. And so when we first were, had designs for this product and showed it to people. They didn't know what to do with it. Like, oh, there's this whole like demand curve and probability curve of what's going to happen. Like, what am I supposed to do? And so we ended up doing a lot of work to kind of abstract the probabilities out to be able to be much more actionable and say, put in when it is you want to make the hire, (laughs) and we're going to tell you red light, green light, are you on track or not? And it turns out that being overly precise and saying, you're two days behind, is not useful or actionable at all and just makes people not believe it. And so it's less focused on being super precise and showing the exact probabilities, and it's more focused on the action of, hey, if you're a recruiter and you've got 10 openings that you're working on... Which ones are ahead or behind? Where should you focus your time next? If you're a hiring manager, when should you plan? Like, is it three months away or two months away? It could be really meaningful to you. And so it was—it was quite a journey. But we think that uh, as people go down this path of using machine learning and predicting and creating probabilities, there's a whole another battle to be waged around how do you communicate it to people who aren't math people, <laughs> right? Who are just recruiters who are really busy and are like looking for some insight.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you know, you know, the probability question is is it, in 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 most scoring and the kind of rounding that you were talking about, um, people drive towards facts. With probabilities, it's it's seventy percent chance that you're right and thirty percent chance that this is going to be a horrible disaster. <laughs> right. And right. and if you bet on that, as if it's one and the and there's a train wreck. Um, yeah. nobody knows what to do, right? And, and that's, that's a big problem as we move, move into a
1: time where
0: everything is going to be predicted.
1: That's right. That's right. And I mean, for, you know, for us, it's like we can make a prediction and say, based on this pipeline, you've got somebody at the end. You have an offer outstanding. Historically, you have an 80% offer acceptance rate. So 80% of the chance, like, they're about to say yes, and you're going to have somebody start in two weeks. 20%, they say no, and there's no one behind them, and you're two months away. So it's hard to give a red light, like, green light on that specific case, right? But it happens all the time. Right. So I think those, right. those are the battles that we, yeah, that's that's what we have to figure out. And the next thing from there is like converting that to make it even more actionable and saying, okay, so you're behind. What should you do? Because we have all this data to tell you, like here are the different job ads you could buy, and here's our prediction of what will happen if you buy them. Here's the different agencies you could, if you want to hire a staffing agency. Here's the different ones you could go with, and prediction of what will happen if you go with them. So we have all that data of what happens when you buy various different job ads for different types of jobs and agency data. So there's a lot to be done there that we are, we're still working on.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about that later. Um, last question is, is what are the ethical issues in your work?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, the inclusion stuff certainly comes to mind that there there's uh, – as we work within diversity and inclusion, there's there's a bunch of issues in there of where is their bias? Are we hiding stuff? Should, should we be hiding things? There are a lot of features that people ask for that there's no data to support. Is a good idea. Um, so should we? Uh, should we be collecting demographic data in the application process or in a candidate survey? Um, those are all things that, that were some of which we kind of make some choices on and some of which we let our customers make choices on. Um, there there's a there's a big one that we're focusing on a lot right now around how our customers serve everyone right and don't assume that everybody has an email address or a computer don't assume that everybody has um or, or I mean a lot of people have low vision and so how do you deal with that so like there's i don't know if that's an ethical thing but like the thing we're work, we're thinking about a lot is like how do you include everyone um that said, that there's a lot of ethical issues that are in our world that we tend not to get involved with, actually, right? There's a lot of, systems, there are a lot of um, tools out there that are sold. It's like, buy this tool, and you can fire half your team. And you're like, oh, is that a good thing? We, that's not our pitch, right? Our pitch is like, <laughs> we're not trying to help you rec- fire your recruiters. We think they're really important. We want to make them more powerful. Um, we're not dealing with, like, amplifying biases, where it's like, oh, we got this machine learning algorithm. will take your existing bias and amplify it. Um, we don't do those things. Um, we're not, you know, we're not sharing data across companies where, like, if you apply to one company, we take your candidate and give it to somebody else. Like, there's all sorts of issues in that. We're trying to stay away from that stuff.
0: That's that's great. So so do you um, um, have have notions of uh, ultimately predicting whether or not a particular candidate will work out? That, this is an area where the ethics get hot.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of folks working on it. Um at this point we have it I think I think what we think is um, I mean there's a lot there's a lot of people from the, the really big the really big players are doing it. there's lots of startups out there doing it. Um, on one hand, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic and I think the data you have about somebody around a resume or maybe a LinkedIn profile and a job description are, are all like pretty incomplete pieces of data. It's hard to match them against each other and say too much. On the other hand, what I do think is somewhat promising is like, you don't have to predict who's going to get hired. You don't have to say like, hey, like fire everyone. This is the one, like you don't have to do any interviews. This is the person, hire them. If you're just saying, listen, I got a million people in my database, I'm opening up a new job. Are there a hundred I should look at first before I go external? And if the hundred isn't the perfect list, it's better than nothing, right? If, if 500 people applied to a job yesterday and you're like, oh my God, I have to look at 500 resumes this morning. Can you order them and give me... Uh, the first 50 to look at. I can see the utility in that. Um, but it's, they're really tough problems. Uh, and so I know there's a lot of people doing it, and whenever I talk to folks like you who have been doing this for a while, they always tell me, Taleo demoed that to me in 2004. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. And so um, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm I sure people I keep I working on that. <laughs> I, I don't think it's that, but I,
0: I do worry, you, you know, that... that that what algorithmic decision-making does is it makes really hard and fast rules fundamentally. And so yeah. so when you have a set of qualifications for a job, what happens is you rule out the people who can really excel, right? The hardest thing about getting recruiting right is Bill Gates would have flunked every qualifications test you gave him, as would Steve Jobs, as would anybody who's right. done something extraordinary. They don't do things that are extraordinary. Oh, you've got somebody who, who has worked for you, Maya, um, who doesn't fit the category and excels, right? Um, right. And, and if you build recruiting systems that are qualifications driven, you chase people like that away from your
1: organization. Right. Well, but I think that's a challenge we would put to our customers is like, how do you build a system that would hire Maya? Because ours did. Right, ours is like screaming clear. Like that's the most obvious person to hire. Right, and some people look and say, "Wow, like she's been a parachute instructor in and in a or like a professional skydiver and a options trader and a entrepreneur herself." And you're gonna make her the head of people, and then a while later you're gonna make her the head of pe- uh, head of marketing. She's never done that. The people say that doesn't fit. Like how, like what interview process did you do that 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 yielded that decision? But like yeah, we interviewed process so That absolutely yielded that decision, and it was totally right. <laughs> So I think exactly. like, um, there's big advantages to be had from, like, if you can be the company that or your process can find those people. And, and like, really for us, like, that was the genesis of our company. If you look at uh, Dan, my co-founder's previous job, like, he had started this company that was, like, an IT consulting shop. They're going to the big banks and building them trading systems. And they realized as many people as they could hire, they could turn around and rent them to the banks. So they would go and compete and say, like, how do we find the best people before... The big banks find them. So we can turn around and rent them back to the same big banks. And they said we have to figure out processes that find the people that the banks don't find. Find the people who want to work for us instead of them. And it was a really creative exercise ultimately of saying there's something that, that we have to look for that's very different than what everybody else is looking for. And like they totally won. They hire they hired awesome people and build this huge business. So like that's always been kind of our thought is like there's huge advantages to be had in recruiting by having a system that yields a different decision than everybody else. And I, I think it's hard to create an AI thing that just does that does that, you know?
0: Yeah, that's that's really great. Nice place to end. So so thanks for doing this. And if you would take a moment to reintroduce yourself and tell people how they might get a hold of you.
1: Yes. Uh and and thanks for having me. Again, I'm John Strauss, I'm the co-founder and president of Greenhouse. Um, you can find us at greenhouse.io or you can always email me directly at Jay Strauss at Greenhouse.io.
0: Thanks again for doing this, John. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the
1: time to do it. Absolutely. Happy to do it again.
0: You've been listening to HR Examiners' Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with John Stoss, who is the president and co-founder of Greenhouse. You can find them at Greenhouse.io. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you this time next week. Thanks again, everybody. Bye-bye.